Hey, I'm Dave Gerhardt, and you're listening to the B2B Marketing Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with today's top marketing leaders to talk about what they really do every day. My guest today is Tom Wentworth. He's the CMO at Recorded Future. Tom Wentworth, welcome to the America's Hottest B2B Marketing Podcast. If you haven't heard, I just posted this morning, top 10 two episodes, top 10 in marketing. So the problem with the iTunes, the Apple charts, as I know, is that you got to keep pumping out episodes. So we got you. We got to keep pumping out episodes. I did just subscribe this morning. I'm not going to lie. So I I think I'm helping drive that. But uh, this this episode will take you to number one for sure. I think we got a bump. In all seriousness, I'm super excited to talk to you. You You're one of the people that I secretly text a lot. And, uh, you know, that's been that way for a couple of years. And I'm, I'm excited to get to like run you through the gauntlet of these questions because I know you will, I know you will bring the real stuff. And I'm excited to get your take on a couple of things. Now, I do have one, I want to give you one icebreaker just to get you going a little bit. What do you think about Joe Rogan and Spotify? I think it's interesting. So I'm a, I've only discovered Joe Rogan maybe in the past 12 months. So maybe I got a little bit behind everybody else, but I get, his philosophical reason of worrying about censorship and feeling like Spotify be a platform where he could just be himself and hundred million dollars doesn't hurt either, but it's going to be interesting. I'm not a Spotify user. I'm like deep in the Apple ecosystem. So now I have to, it's hard for me. I'm you know still looking at YouTube to see most of his content, but clearly a trend. I mean, he's the biggest, right? So it'll be interesting to see what happens from here. I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but then the way that it works on Spotify is actually pretty wild because it's now one. So all you do is press play and you get the video and the audio. And so like, if you put your phone to sleep, then obviously you get the audio, but if it's open and that, so it's like, it kind of kills YouTube in that world, which is kind of interesting. Cause it's like, Oh, if I could just as a podcaster, if I could just record upload to one place, I think you still got to be everywhere. Like you're not Joe Rogan. And so you should be in Apple podcasts and, and everywhere else, but it is pretty interesting. I want to know the business plan they use to justify the hundred million dollar contract like he's generating that much in ad revenue that they can pay him a hundred million. Well, yeah, clearly they are. And it's crazy because it's not like his stuff is on, it's still on Apple. It's still on YouTube and it's going to be that way until six more months. So it's sort of like a freemium model, right? It's, you know, freemium and it's somewhere they have a, they have a conversion rate they must look at and say, you know, we think this is worth it. So we're actually just like talking about planning at my company right now for 2021. And freemium is wild because it's like, in enterprise, it's really tough to, and I have never really done enterprise at scale. And so like, it's, it's tough to articulate like the levers in marketing, but like the wild thing about freemium is like, if we're going into next year, if we really want to grow faster, like the easiest way to do that is to just pump the funnel full of traffic and trials, right? You've lived that. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, let's go. We're going to get into this. Okay. Tom Wentworth, here we go. Question number one, what's your role? I'm the chief marketing officer at a cybersecurity company called Recorded Future. This is going to be good because my ultimate go-to line when I talk about myself doing marketing is that I would be a terrible CMO at a cybersecurity company. I think you're going to validate that. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Okay. What does Recorded Future do? Yeah, it's interesting. So we are a cybersecurity company, but we're creating a category called security intelligence. You know, most security has been about what happens inside of your network or in the cloud. What we're doing is collecting data all over the open web, the deep web, the dark web, all these scary places that normal humans like you and I can't get into. And we collect all this data, we apply it through this thing called we call the security intelligence graph, which sort of relates it in a way that provides really interesting context for security people. So it's one thing, you know, every Tuesday, Microsoft has this list of vulnerabilities that, that they've patched or they recommend you patch. But it's one thing if that vulnerability is being exploited by a North Korea nation state threat acting group who's going after specific types of companies and specific industries. So we provide all that intelligence. So we make all these security functions work better. But it's fascinating, you know, all the stuff that you can find if you're really good at listening on the internet like we are. It's crazy. Can you talk roughly about just stage and size of the company so people can get a better sense for where you guys are at? Yeah. So we're in Davis Square in Boston, it's a little outside of Boston. I'd never heard of Recorded Future before I joined. So it's, it's this sort of stealthy company and we're super humble and I'm fix, not fixing, it's the wrong word. You know, I think we should be a little bit more out there. But Recorded Future, we announced we're over 100 million in revenue in ARR a couple months ago. We're obviously bigger than that now. 
but it's this $100 million company in Boston. No one's ever heard of, a little more than 500 employees. It's crazy. Okay, um, so if you're wherever you are driving, listening, you're getting an inside view of, of the CMO of a $100 million SaaS company right now. And so I think this is a good opportunity to, to take notes. Okay, Tom, so as a CMO of a $100 million SaaS company, how do you articulate like what is the company's marketing strategy, right? Like if you got to make the case for the CFO or the CEO, hey, why should marketing exist at the company? How do you tell that story? Yeah, no, it's going to be a ripoff of Udi's thing last week or a couple of weeks ago. We make it easier to sell. You know, it's interesting. If you go back 20 years ago, if you had the title VP of marketing, you owned revenue. Like there became this artificial split at some point, I think early in SaaS where marketing was marketing and sales were sales. But VPs of marketing, you know, back in the day, if you worked at Oracle, you carried a revenue number. So I think it's sort of always been that marketing's job is about selling and that split, that sort of that artificial split, I think maybe set marketing back a little bit. And I'm glad that we've come the other direction. But, you know, my job is to, you know, we source, I know you love numbers here at, you know, on the DGMG Marketing Leaders Podcast, but we, we source over 50% of new ARR in marketing. Like it's crazy at this scale and being enterprise. I mean, this is, I've only been here for nine months, so I don't get a lot of credit for that. But you know, we are really about being the engine that lets us get to 100 million and beyond. Okay, so th- this is a question I was going to get to later, but let's just go here from the beginning. So you're doing a hundred million dollar revenue company. You're sourcing 50 percent of that of uh, new 50, of new logos. Yeah, of new, new logos. right? So that, that's the run rate ARR. Yep. So you're you're contributing 50 percent of new. Where is that coming from? Like, let's talk channels and like, and obviously you just got there nine months ago. So like, I would love to hear like you showed up and you saw like why did they bring you in? And then let, let's talk about as much as you can dive into the channels where where that 50 percent comes from. Yeah, I mean, I think the the bringing me in was enterprise. You know, I've spent most of my career. I came to marketing through being a sales engineer, which is a weird track. So I've, you know, it's why marketing technology has been interesting to me. I'm a nerd and I can sort of, I love, you know, getting in, uh, really getting in deep, but I spent most of my career in enterprise. So I sort of know the enterprise playbook. I know how to talk the language. You know, I know what, what works and what doesn't work. So I came in to help continue along that enterprise journey at scale too, as we sort of go to hundred million to 200 million and beyond the company had built some really interesting engines. We made some really interesting early bets. So our biggest channel is something we called Cyber Daily. It's a newsletter that goes out every day. You can subscribe to it and it will show you all of the sort of top stories around cybersecurity that you should be interested in, you know, if you work in a cybersecurity company. What's genius about this engine, Cyber Daily, is that it's programmatically generated from our product. So our product spits out an RSS feed of these top trending stories that we uncovered. We then feed an RSS feed into HubSpot. We schedule an email every morning. So you think that we've curated the Cyber Daily every day. And, and really, it's, just, it's a process that's been running now for a few years that we barely ever touch. And it's, you know, it is historically sourced as much as 40% of our pipeline. It's not quite that now, but that was the big bet that we made early on that today is still you know, the engine that drives a lot of pipeline conversion. Can you unpack the pipeline conversion a little bit? So like people, you push out this great content, but, but then like what people read it and they're like, I'd like a demo of this. Like what's the actual funnel? Yeah, yeah. So we're, you know, we're ABM for, uh, predominantly. So we've got a list of, I think, what are too many accounts right now? And we had, a, we had an internal strategy meeting yesterday at our company and uh, me and our head of sales agree that we've got to really narrow down our focus on what, you know, if it's not, if you have 8,000 accounts, it's not ABM. That's just marketing, right? So we- There's a pull um, quote, there's a pull quote right there. <laughs> if you have 8,000 accounts, it's not ABM, it's just marketing. Yes. What is the, what's the right number? Like a ballpark, right? If I said, Tom, we got like, what's, the, what's a gut check right now? In any one, I think in any one quarter, if you're an enterprise rep, you can maybe focus on 10 to 15 accounts. So multiply that by the number of AEs that you have. Anything beyond that's noise, in my opinion. So, you know, we're, our ABM calculation is more along, take number of AEs times by 10 to 15. And let's be really smart about who those 10 to 15 accounts are. So in COVID in particular, you know, we had to go assess you know, not only are they a good target account for us historically, but are they still a good target account for us? There are certain industries that got hit harder than others, right? So we, you know, that was a forcing function to revisit it. But we also said, we just got to really scale back these target accounts. But to answer your question, so we have all these target accounts and the process is effectively, if you're a cyber, cyber Daily subscriber 
and you're a Gmail address person, consume our content. We love it. That's great. But if you are from one of our target accounts, one of our BDR, you know, BDRs will follow up with you. We'll try to assess your interest. We'll qualify you around our six solution areas we sell into. Book a meeting for an AE and an AE will either qualified forward or move it backwards. Pretty, pretty typical at that point. This is awesome. So is it like, is it literally like that is your big anchor? The cyber daily is like your, your big, that's how you're going to cast a a, a wide net. I love this because we talk a lot about ABM and even just like off this podcast, when I talk to other marketing people, I think people don't often realize that like content is still the thing that makes ABM work, right? Where like it's the offering. And so instead of your BDRs going literally knocking on people's doors and saying, hi, my name is Dave from Recorded Future. Have you heard of us? We do blah, 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 right? They're reaching out to say, hey, I'm Dave from Recorded Future. You know, the company that you get our newsletter every single day and you you like us, like, you know, content is always going to provide air cover for ABM. It's cool to see that you guys have created a system for that. Yeah. And it's why we've been able to source so much. And again, 50% enterprise serious decisions who I don't really love, to be honest with you. That's another topic. I'm going to give you some hot takes today. I love it. You know, serious benchmarks are like you're benchmarking against average companies. I'm not sure that's what I wanted. I'm not trying to build an average company, but at least it's interesting. So like serious will say that, you know, enterprise companies marketing generates 10 to 15% of the pipeline. I'm not sure if I buy that it's that low. That seems like a cop out to me. That seems but super old school to me, right? Super old school. But I, and I don't know that 55% is going to be sustainable forever. And we don't do any, you know, we do a little bit of opportunistic outbound, but it's not a big, you know, that's our strategy. We don't do as much outbound as enter, other enterprise companies do. You know, I had a BDR, you know, we're, we're going in the office, a few of us very safely, very sporadically. And one of our, you know, BDRs came over a couple of weeks ago and like screamed out, Hey, I've got, you guys are giving me too many leads. Like I've never had that happen. And I've been here now for nine months and there hasn't been a single conversation ever from anyone in sales saying marketing's not contributing. This is the first time that's ever happened in my career. It's great. And when they say too many leads, is that like they're having too many interesting like people that are interested at yeah. target accounts that want to talk to them? Because the BDRs only, that's a really important point. BDRs only follow up on target account leads. So, you know, we don't, we have two main engines. We have sort of an enterprise engine and a everybody else engine. The everybody else engine, you know, leads will go directly to the sellers. But for our, you know, for our enterprise business, it's leads go through BDRs, BDRs set up qualification meetings. So yeah, so it's too much interest from, you know, at least qualified companies. How do you report on ABM? Like, because I think most marketers, even though like ABM is a thing, I think most marketers are still used to like, here's my traffic waterfall, here's my leads waterfall. Like, wh- what are you rolling into the management meetings and, and, and showing? Yeah, it's interesting. So we don't use MQLs here. Which I like. I've never been an MQL fan. Is that because it's because of a, because it's ABM? It's target accounts. It's like yeah. So just a quick rant on MQLs. Like if you want to hit your MQL number, just run more webinars. I love it when people have scoring systems that are like give a point for every webinar someone goes to. If you want to hit your MQL number, just do a webinar a day and you'll crush it. So what we use is something called marketing interactions, and a marketing interaction is someone within one of our target accounts is engaged with a, with one of our core assets in marketing, cyber daily, our free product trial, not all of our content, but a subset of our higher value content. So we track marketing interactions. That's the metric. So our funnel is effectively, you know, leading the universe metrics like web traffic and, and all that. Qualified interactions is the next down in the funnel. Qualified interactions to meetings because a qualified interaction is what triggers BDR outreach, which triggers setting up meetings meeting to qualified pipeline and then they're in a standard sales funnel. Love this. So the handoff okay. between marketing and sales is really in between marketing interaction and meeting. And then the handoff between BDRs and AEs is meeting to our first stage in pipeline, which is qualified opportunity. Okay. I have a couple of questions on that. So, so number one is, did you like, did you come up with this? Was this here or this is a way you've done it? And you, you said, hey, when, hey, we're going to change how we do this. We're going to call it marketing interactions. Like, where does it come from? It was, it was something that, that we had had in place previously. I think the thing that I brought that, that we were, it was a little bit of embarrassment of riches. When you're earlier stage, you don't need to look at things as, as long as you're hitting your number every quarter, you don't need to really obsess about what's happening underneath yeah. it. But I sort of felt like you get to 100 million, stuff gets real. And you know, we weren't looking at 
let's say pipeline creation. Like we were, we'd look at it a couple times a month and I'm like, guys, we got to look at this every week. So, you know, we set weekly meetings up with all the sales leaders across our regions just to go through and look at those dashboards. So we use a, a data a product called Clipfolio to do our reporting. And we've got these clips that just show us all that trending meetings per week, interactions per week, qualified opportunities per week, dollar amount of qualified opportunities down to the rep level so that we can go into that meeting and say, hey, how are we doing? Against and it's, we've got a trend line so we know where we are at any point in the quarter. And we can look at the rep level and say, you know, how are we doing? And that's where field marketing will come in and say, all right, so we've got a rep in the West who's not hitting there, you know, who's far behind pipeline. Let's run some programs specific to that region. So in that meeting, it's our sort of broad-based demand gen team and our field marketing team who's responsible more for those ABM, more narrow programs who will then, you know, run programs. And so the thing we, we do is, you know, if you're a rep, you can only work so many opportunities at a time. If you've got more pipeline that you can deal with, doing more for you is not going to help. So we really try to focus ABM a lot too, not just on target accounts, but where we need more activity. I just like it because I think it's, it's a good example of just rethinking. It's like building a process around the desired behavior, right? Not like, well, MQLs is what serious decision says, or that's what, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. It's like, let's come up with a definition because it's not always going to be webinars. And I think like it's a million different touches. It's like some people are going to be on your newsletter. Some people are going to be on your podcast. Some people are going to come inbound and get a demo. And so like when you just say interactions, okay, that's great. What do we want to drive? We want to drive conversations with people that we would like to sell things. Yeah. I don't know. There's probably a better word than interactions, not to throw shade on, you know, our demand gen guy who came up with it, but it's fine. Like it it is. And it's not just any interaction. It's not like they came to our website and viewed a page. It is, they did something that we think is worthy of BDR follow-up. Got it. Okay. And then like for the stages, so you have like, you have marketing interactions and you have, you know, marketing, whatever meetings, you have qualified interactions. Yep. Are these all stages that you have sat down with the sales leaders yeah. and agreed on, like the yep. definition of? Yep. And frankly, our biggest challenge right now, and it's, it's no one's fault because everyone's busy, but one, in our dashboard, that report, you know, that thing we look at, one of the, the metrics we look at is meetings that haven't been, it's a number that represents meetings where we haven't decided what the next step is. So like we had this meeting, but then what? Like, was it good? Was it bad? Did we qualify it for? Did we qualify it back? And at any one time, that number can be, you know, it can be in the, you know, high, you know, 100 or let's say 100, right? So this is potential pipeline that's sort of just sitting there. And we, we obsess over that. It's funny, whenever our head of sales sends out an email about that number, all of a sudden we'll get two or $3 million in pipeline. We'll just show up almost instantly. But, but that, if we didn't that have that, if we didn't that, have that number, reps? we wouldn't see that. Is that just because reps like haven't moved the next step? Just because they haven't moved it. In a lot of cases, just because they're busy. It's not because they're trying to hide. It's they're trying to close deals. But yet, we don't know if we're super far behind or we're ahead. But we've gotten better at that. But it's It's if you don't look at the numbers weekly, that's what happens. It's why we look at it weekly. It's like you have to do it. But it's also so silly. It's like, especially if you're in marketing, like I've had this feeling where you're like, why are we so behind? Why are we so behind? And it's like, oh, we didn't like people haven't logged these meetings yet. Like it just, I didn't appreciate this enough a little bit earlier in my career, but like how, cause I was always like, I'm be creative. We're going to do crazy stuff. But now I'm really under, I really understand. I guess you have to have experience to do this. Like the importance of having that foundation for how you do reporting, for how you do tracking. Like it, it matters so much because you can't, you don't know what place to run if you don't have an accurate rec- reflection of where you're at. And if someone owns the number, in my opinion, if you own a number, you have the right to challenge people on, hey, I own this. My, my boss is holding me accountable for this. You know, my job performance is at stake. Progress your meetings. And, that's, and, and again, no one's doing it like, to you know, make marketing upset. It's just people are busy. But you know, no. the, the person on my team who owns that number will, you know, will, has all the right to drive it. And, and we do. Well, that's also how you drive it, right? Hey, yeah. you want to move that? Get, make that someone's job and they're going to follow up and make sure and that it's done. The dumb part, and, and I think people get this intuitively, but it's like the more that marketing can prove that we're successful, the more investment we're going to get, which means the more things that we can do, which means the more pipeline we can create. And I think people get that, but it's often, you have to remind them, like if we can just prove that these things are working, like CFOs aren't going to take my word for it. Just trust me. Our, our CFO, Scott Almeida, I can't just say, hey, Scott, trust me. You know, if you give me our 2 million, it's going to work. So just play the game a little bit, you know, help us, help us help you. 
and everyone wants to, but you just have to remind people about it. Love it. All right. I want to go back to marketing channels for a little bit, just because Dude, I got a good story for you too. You Can't wait to tell this one. Do you want to tell it or do you want me to ask you a question first? Well, I know you're going to ask me about our channel that's working. So I, I, I've prepared a story for it. Okay. Well, I was going to ask you what channels are basically what gets lost in ABM that I don't hear many people really articulate is like, what actually is the playbook? It's like, oh, we're doing ABM. Okay. So you mentioned you have this great piece okay. of content. What I are got, the plays? I got one for it. And this is going to be one you won't even expect. What, what do you think I'm going to say? I don't know. You've told me some, you always like, Tell me like random, really cool things about what you're This is a random, really cool thing. It's going um, to surprise you. I know your podcast is massive. Yeah, that's okay. So it's close. So what's working incredibly well for us, and I might be the first person and only to come on this podcast and tell you this, is PR. Oh. Right? So, so like PR is this thing where it's like a marketing tax. We spend $20,000 a month on an agency. We never know what they're actually delivering. Like what are they actually doing all day for that $20,000, Right. So people, and I think new CMOs, you know, their, their boss says, get us, get us some coverage. And they go hire an agency with no strategy and it fails miserably, but it feels good because PR agencies are great at making you feel good. So I came here super skeptical of PR. Like, I hate PR. To be genuine, like, like in my past, like it's been a waste, an entire you know, massive waste. But I come here and it's the most successful thing that we do. And I'll tell you why. You know, most companies who do PR just pitch shit stories. They pitch something that no one cares about, right? And they pay these agencies a ton of money to try to get coverage on this just boring nothingness that no one cares about. And it's a wasted thing. What you should really do is instead of spending money with a PR agency, spend money on having something interesting to say. Like take that $10,000, $20,000 a month and, and find a way to get something interesting to say. And for us, the interesting to say is this research team we have called Insect. Insect is a Swedish word. We're a Swedish company. And this research team is a bunch of super high-end analysts who go out and just do really incredible research. For example, we figured out that there's this nation-state threat actor inside of China called Red Delta. And you know, all these threat actors in cybersecurity have really cool names, Red Delta is the name of this group. We name them. You get to name them if you find them. And Red Delta was in advance of, so the Vatican is trying to expand Catholicism into China, right? They're, so they're trying to get back in. And we found that in advance of some talks that Red Delta was trying to hack into the Vatican. So I don't know if you're religious or not, but I wouldn't mess with the Pope. But this Red Delta group was messing with the Pope and we found this out. So we're able to take that story without, a, and we don't even have a PR agency. So that's the other thing too. I spend zero on PR, but our great PR person, Kate, is able to take that story, go to the New York Times and say, hey, there's this really incredible Vatican story. We'd love to give you access to it and have you talk to the experts who put the report together. We exclusively break this in the New York Times and then Reuters covers it, Wall Street Journal covers it, CNN covers it. We're listening to BBC one morning and they talk about it on the air. And like we had every publication that you would ever want to be in, like maybe even just once in your whole career, we we're in all of them at the same time. And that happens for us a couple times a quarter because we're out there pitching awesome stories. It has nothing to do with the PR agency. It has everything to do with our story. So, you know, through those stories, we talk about what works for ABM. PR can work for ABM because our customers, our prospects will say, hey, I saw that New York Times article I'd love to learn about how you actually did that because every one of those CISOs that we sell to who saw that story in the New York Times is worried about that same nation state hacking group hacking their company. So it's been shocking how much PR works for us. And we, we really do it through this research team and through one person whose job it is effectively to help us pitch, develop and pitch those stories. You said the most important thing, which is like the most important thing for a company for marketing success is you have a great product. The most important thing for PR success is that you have something interesting to say or someone interesting to say it, right? Like yeah. think about think about the CEOs and companies that get the most press. Like, you know what? I, I bet I would be a pretty damn good PR person if I was the PR person at Tesla, right? Because yeah. you just say ridiculous things all the time. And so I love that because it's like that that's built in and that's that's playing to a strength. Like, hey, 
we have all this data. Why don't we have a research team? And why don't we consistently pitch that? And that can become a channel for us where I think a lot of companies will just staple PR onto the playbook because it's like, oh, you got to do PR, blog, events, podcast, video, where like, I think you've done a great job of like assessing the situation and saying like, okay, well, we can add this and this is really going to work for us. Or if we don't have anything interesting to say, let's not do it. And it was purposeful. Like our research team does research for our customers, first and foremost. Like their job is to go out there and do research specific to the demands of our customers, but they carve out a chunk of their time to, to support marketing. And that's awesome, but it's purposeful. And they do it because they know that they're helping marketing. So it, is not, it was not accidental. To, does anybody ask you to quantify PR inside of the company? No. It's what we've always said. You know, those of us have been doing this for a while. We know it's working when customers tell our BDRs or account reps, I can't believe. And the same with the podcast. Like we get discovered through our podcast and people will tell us about it. We launched a new media site called The Record. So as the third leg of the stool, you know, we've got this great research. We've got this podcast, over a million downloads. And to double down on, you know, part of the challenge was we have so much great story. Not everything's going to be Wall Street Journal worthy, but we wanted to create our own publishing platform. So we hired a former journalist from Wall Street Journal who covered cybersecurity. And we, we basically gave him every other story that we're not going to go out there and deliver through the Wall Street Journal and New York Times. And we turned that into something called the Record by Recorded Future. And now we're publishing two or three articles ourselves a week. And by the way, it's awesome to work with a real journalist. Like We think we're good at content as marketers. Journalists just churn this stuff out like it's unbelievable how much high quality content a real writer can turn out. Well, and they're better at telling stories. That's what they do. Yeah. And, and like interviews, like it's genius how, so I guess what we're doing here. So maybe you are doing the same thing, but like interviews are working incredibly well for him. He's gone out and interviewed like a real actual honest to goodness hacker. And it's, it's really cool that these are stories we can now tell through this platform. So we can't quantify it. Like I can't go to my C- and thankfully I've got one of those rare CEOs who understands marketing, but you can't, there, are, there's, there is no metric. There's traffic, there's subscribers, there's all the usual stuff at downloads, but from the board all the way through the exec team on down, everyone just feels like it's right. I haven't had to prove it. Yeah, that's great. And I mean, when you're consistently hitting the number, you also get that right. If you're like, if you're not never hitting the pipeline number and you're spending 20 grand on PR <laughs> and nobody's sure, like it does, it also doesn't work that way. Yeah. And I've heard you say that before. All things work do work a lot better when you're hitting sales numbers and pipeline numbers. It creates the freedom to go do this. But, you know, one of the great things about, you know, about the situation we're in now, like channels, events went away. You used to, uh, in cybersecurity, it was heavy events from big events like RSA and Black Hat to smaller field events. We would spend 30-ish plus percent of our budget on events. And obviously that all went away. And I don't think it's going to ever come back. And if it does, you know, one of the statements I made yesterday in our meeting is that we'll probably never go back to doing big events again, regardless of what happens in the world. I think we can spend money more effectively. And, and one of the ways is I look at events like renting someone else's audience. I go to RSA because it gets me in front of a whole bunch of people. But if I can build my own audience with a property like the record or a podcast or whatever, it becomes an asset for the company. Like it's a durable asset we have forever. And it takes time, it takes patience, but it's part of not having events anymore is created white space to do all sorts of fun things like this. And it's been great. It's also such a good fit with your, I love the combination of uh, enterprise, target accounts and creativity. So like you're using content to find creative ways to start conversations with people as opposed to, hey, fill out this form. You're going to talk to us. Oh, how are we getting emails from the podcast? Like you're, you have this brand that's built on these channels that are, that are based on trust, right? PR, yeah. like PR is third-party validation. Podcast is like, you know, no like and trust you listening to you every day. And that's what's going to get a, a BDR to reach out and actually be able to have a conversation with somebody. Yeah. No, that's exactly it. And it's, and it's, and that works and it's measured by B, you know, we, we use Slack like everybody else. And there's a BDR channel. One of the things I would suggest everybody do, and our BDR team here does it. It's incredible. Every time they book a meeting, they share it in Slack. Every time they have a discovery call, they share the summary of it in Slack. We use Gong as well, which is great. But I feel like I'm a part of that team because I'm like, I'm living it every minute with them. But when they, they book a discovery call, they'll talk about the source, whether it was Cyber Daily or our free product, or they'll say, hey, the person you know, said they love, you know, they love our podcast or they love the record. And that happens. Like, so it's like really 
it's one of the ways I know things are working because I see it every day in this Slack channel from our BDRs. Okay. $100 million SaaS company. How many people on your marketing team? Let's, let's get into the weeds of the, let's do it. Of the marketing team. How many people? Who reports to who? Uh, what are the roles? That's the stuff people love. It's just yeah, wild. So people, marketers love that stuff. I don't know why. I think people, it's back to the benchmark things. I think people don't trust you know, the other. We already talked about one of those sources of benchmarks. So I, my team is 26 people broken down. Is this the biggest marketing team you've had? Uh, no. What was, the, what was the Acquia team? Aquinera Marketing Acquia. And we were not much bigger than Recorded Future. We we're 42. And that was, in my opinion, that was too much. I think we, I'll come back to this, but I, I think that brain power scales better than budget in almost all cases. And we sort of, the mentality I think back in that era was you raise some VC money, just you got to go higher. Like literally, like, what are we going to do with all this money we just raised? Well, we better spend it on sales and marketing. We better go hire people. I don't think that in retrospect was the right, I should have spent that money on brand, not people, to be honest with you. We're a little more measured about hiring here. So, you know, at what's well over 100 million now, we're 26 people sort of growing cautiously, but, but still growing and hiring. Broken down by, so I've got really, I've got four direct reports to answer your question. So head of product marketing, head of brand and demand, uh, someone who just started with us recently, head of international marketing, and then that new Benita property, the record. We want to create some church and state between the record and recorded future. Ooh. So uh, our editor-in-chief works directly for me. So four direct reports. I love that you've broken it out because it, otherwise it becomes a shared resource. So that's how you know it's a big bet for the company. It's like yeah, this is a well, dedicated chunk of marketing, just like you think of product marketing. Our journalist is an unbelievable copywriter. Like though they talk about writing headlines. They know how to write headlines. And I could already see my demand gen team saying, hey, can we borrow Adam to write a headline for this big email we're going to send? And no, church and state. So Adam's on the marketing team, but he is the editor-in-chief of our media property, which is not recorded future. But okay, yeah. so four teams, product marketing, brand and demand, international and recorded future. Are, and the record, yeah. And the record. Interestingly, of brand and demand together, is that on purpose or because the person that you have there is strong and you can do both? Both. It is exactly both. So, and I think they need to be more closely tied together. I think that is the, that will be how we will continue to win is those things should be under the way that we think about, we should always be thinking about, we are building a brand very intentionally but we also do need to convert an audience into ARR. And like those two functions, I think should be together. And I've got one person who owns both. Like, and it's cool because I can then have two very different conversations with that person. Like I can, I can, you know, Hey, where are we in that pipeline tar hitting that pipeline goal? And also what are we doing to be a top five security brand in three years? Yeah. Well, you need, you need both. Like, I think if you're going to say, Hey, we're going to grow pipeline, you know, 50% this quarter or whatever. Okay. Yep. Then you're going to go work from that plan and you're going to see what all the tactics are. The thing that's going to fuel that plan. Yes. Demand gen is the one that's going to execute on it. And that's who you want. The analytical campaign slicer and dicer, right? But it's got to be fed by creative. Yeah. And so and if I you didn't, have yeah. two strong things, if you have strong creative and strong demand gen, that's the Holy grail. Cause then you're not just stuffing, you're not just doing, you know, third party content syndication and hoping you get leads from it. You're creating your own stuff. I used to be, so back at Acquia, that was me. Like I underappreciated brand. I over-rotated on demand gen because I'm a math, I was a math major. Like I'm really good at like spreadsheets and conversion rates and V lookups and Excel. Like I can crush that all day, but I underappreciated creativity and it actually hurt the company. Like I hurt Acquia's CMO by not realizing how important brand building was because we didn't feel, we were a much bigger, we didn't feel like the kind of, company that we actually were. And I'll never make that mistake ever again. In fact, we, we were actually underinvested in demand gen here. I had to change that a little bit when it came on. But you know, we, we will never make that mistake. We are going to focus on brand and demand is what happens after. Okay. At, at a high level, can you take me through how you measure each of those teams? Like, I'm just interested for how you set goals as a marketing leader. Like, do you have company goals and you set the marketing goals and each team has kind of like cascading you know, goals that fall into that? We will as of about two hours later today. So we're just starting to roll out OKRs here. And this is breaking news. So uh, my team doesn't even know this yet. They will at, at one o'clock today. You know, our, we've had, Mark, we've had annual goals. And like, the annual goal was source 45% of pipeline and new ARR. We had a, a share of voice, a couple share of voice goals for our brand efforts. Like there were really two or three corporate goals. So we'll, we're now going to kind of go down the OKR path where 
our CEO has set OKRs for the company. I will then align my OKRs to the CEO's goals. And then the heads of product marketing, brand and demand, global, et cetera, will then have OKRs that map into mine. So like my OKRs are, we've got a, we've got a, a virtual conference coming up. So being able to hit our conference goals will be an OKR or it's a KR. Hitting that pipeline target creation will be a KR. Growth of the record will be a KR. So we have some metrics around subscribers that we're going to start to set. So the, the gist will be it rolls down from the company goals and it won't roll all the way down to everybody having their OKRs, but every sort of functional area will have OKRs that map back to the company goals. Yeah. And is the objective simply like grow X percent pipeline, you know, ARR for this quarter, and then you roll everything into that? It's yeah, it's at the high level it is. Then, but then when you get down lower, it's, you know, we launched six new products a couple weeks ago. And it's like having six startups in a big company. So we have like specific OKRs for growth at that product level. And we sort of look at every, you know, we have like a little team who works on each of those new products and like, you need to go drive that new product. So your product has its own set of OKRs associated with it. How do you handle OKRs for like, so something that I struggle with is like OKRs for like design and creative, because those are like roles that have to basically support the functions, right? So like, we're not going to be able to, they just have to create the stuff that we need. Yeah. We, we need design to support everything that we do. Like, how do you set goals around that? Yeah. So I don't, so I'll, I'll let you know once we go through that part of the process, I haven't gotten there yet. You know, generally speaking, OKRs aren't supposed to be activity-based. Like it's not, but it can be like it's an activity will be, if you're our, you know, our, our, our head of creative, like just needs to do stuff like it. And, you know, well, actually it's not true. So, the, you know, that person's OKR is complete a brand transformation project. We're sort of right now in the middle of, it's really interesting, you know, as a, as a scary cybersecurity company, we intentionally five years ago were this really friendly brand, like bright colors, this font that was a little bit too close to Comics on MS for me. And we decided like, we're solving some pretty serious, like there's some pretty scary people out there in the world and we're solving some pretty serious problems. But yet we come across as this sort of cartoonishy company a little bit. And we've like super hardened our brand and we're sort of 50% of the way through that. So one OKR for Q4 is going to be to sort of finish the hardening of our brand, but a lot of it's activity and I'm okay with that, especially for functions like design where it's just you're checking a box. Yeah. And the people want different goals. Like a demand gen leader is going to be much more hungry for like super quantifiable goals than a, a creator who's like, Hey, your job is, is almost like an agency. Your job is to support us in all these creative, you know, endeavors. But here's one. So like for the record, which is a media site, we want to see, we want to create stories that are so good that other media sites cite our media site. So Adam on that team has a goal in Q4 of getting five other publishers to cite his stories. So, you know, somebody else who writes cover cybersecurity to cover him. So that's that now just that's that's just a forcing function for making sure he's creating really good content and actually pitching his content to other media agencies. So you can do it. It's not activity based as much. He does have an activity based goal too, like publish n number of articles in Q4. But we try to make it more about business impact than just, you know, doing something than activity. Okay. I have so many more things I want to ask you. This is great. But hit me with these quickly because I think this is important, but not as important as other stuff I want to get to. So what are you using to do OKRs? Are you using software? Are you just going to do it like yourself in a spreadsheet? Actually, part of it, another thing my team's going to learn in a couple hours, we're going to use Asana to do it. Will be, uh, will be our goal. We don't do anything today. It's, it's a mishmash of Google Sheets. Okay. We'll Second question is, was this your idea to switch to OKRs? Did you read the John Doerr book? Did it come to you that you needed a goal setting system? How did this come? Yeah, it was a little, I have read the John Doerr book and I got the whole exact team to read it too. It came, our, our CEO sort of charted it. I then quickly plus one it. So I might've been the, the, the quick plus one that helped push it forward faster. Got it. Okay. With your direct reports, like what, what's your rhythm? What's your rhythm with the direct reports? And then what's your rhythm with the marketing team? Yeah. So we have a, we have some marketing team. We have a biweekly, which is happening later, a little bit later today. I think it should be more frequent. I have been hesitant. One of the things where, you know, we have meeting culture, meeting culture. And I try to work hard to prevent that. But every other week right now for a half hour, it should probably be longer and more frequent. So shame on me. With my directs, every Monday is my directs day. So I have 45, you know, really an hour booked with all my direct reports. It's predominantly for me to answer their questions, remove roadblocks, you know, vent, 
all, so, you know, all the things so that we can, you know, have a good productive week. Not all and at then, once, but you just do all your one-on-ones on Monday. Yeah. Sorry. I do all my one-on-ones on Monday. So Monday is my one-on-one. I just found that getting it on one day, it's, it's painful and sometimes, but it's, it's the right behavior. Especially to start the week. Yeah. But um, I don't, I don't do status updates. Like I have better ways to, like, I know what I can find out what you're doing. It's mainly to try to help my team. They might argue with that, but that's at least the intention. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Let's see. Do you have any rants that you wanted to give me? Because I have, I have questions, but like, you're pretty good at this. So I'm okay. haven't, I, haven't I already ranted enough? Like I, I, tr- I, I trash serious decisions un- unintentionally, did. but I keep going. Like, how do you get to marketing budget as a, as a company? Is it, is, yeah. it, is it here's your budget or do you have a push in that? How do you do it? I'll tell you how, I don't think most people really know how it works. So here's how it really works. So Can I just tell you, by the way, I, I, I'm doing this right now and I looked in my Evernote. I have like a thing where I just save random budget notes and I have a screenshot from you that talks about the serious decision benchmark, which is nine to 17% for companies doing less than 50 million ARR. Yeah. And so I, so I did the calculation and it was like, it ended up being something like the goal should be like nine to 17%. And the initial budget that I had was like 25%. And I was like, Oh, I don't know if I should (laughs) either. I should either, I should change the benchmark I'm using to make this passable case or go and readjust the budget. You know, so it, yeah, I mean, it's, this is a rant. All right. You ready to get comfortable. So first of all, don't equate how much marketing budget you have with how successful you are as a marketer. It is not like directly, there's not a direct correlation. In fact, in some ways, an inverse correlation is better. You can be a more effective marketer. Like we're a company at scale, $100 million. My objective isn't to spend more money. My objective is to help the company hit our growth targets as efficiently as possible so that we can be break-even to profitable. Because at some point, we either want to be a, you know, we want to be an enormous company. And you can't be an enormous company if you're losing a ton of money, unless you're WeWork. So budgets get set by, first, the CEO and the CFO set an operational plan. They say, we want to be break-even. We want to, we want to be EBITDA positive. We, we want to lose money. We're fine with that. So that's the sort of initial hypothesis. Then the sales leader comes and says, here's what we can actually do in the top line. Here's what renewals are going to be. Here's what the top line new number is going to be. So that sets sort of like the, the basic number. And then we can compare that to last year and say, all right, we're going to generate $30 million more cash this year than last year. So assuming those variables, how do we want to divide up the $30 million in cash? Well, we've got to look at sales capacity first because that's, that's going to be the top priority of any budget setting process. Do we have the capacity to hit that number? Then we need to look at R&D and then we need to look at all the other functions and G&A and then we look at marketing. And you know, for us, so you're starting, it's not just like, it's not made up out of the sky. Like you're, you're taking the amount of you know, net, net new dollars you have this year over last year and after it's divided up between sales, everyone else gets to pull from it. So you know, basically then it comes down to is the philosophy of marketing, are you growth? Are you stability? Are you trying to become a more efficient company? So for us, it's really about efficiency. So my, my budget, which is less than 10%, so it's, you can do the math on how much ARR we are, it's less than 10% of that. And we're going to spend less money this year than we spent last year, which I think is fascinating. We're growing at a huge percent year over year and we're spending less money, which makes me incredibly proud. I'm cheap, like maybe like inappropriately cheap. But next year, we'll be flat again, too. We'll keep taking money down and we'll be more efficient. And that's fine. You know, we can still grow. And the good thing is the numbers get so big that you can still, the budget gets bigger, but it's not, it's still proportioning less than revenue. Right. But the percentage is the same. Yeah. Hold on. You, you're cheap. You're notoriously cheap, you said, but you spend 20K on a PR agency. And I know you've, you've been an advocate of analysts, which is at least 60 grand a year. So you're not that cheap. Oh, great story. So I'm going to tell you, Pop Analyst, you know, I have, I've been old school. We, uh, when I, we joined, we actually canceled one of our analyst subscriptions. We just signed back up, but I took a good eight month break and it felt good. The analyst in case just wasn't, we didn't think was providing a lot of value. And we are signed back up and we think they are, but it was, it was something that we did take a little bit of break. But in general, like, I'm not like going to, like, I'll be cheap. We'll make some big bets and we'll make some big bets this year, but we'll be very smart about it and not just spend money just because we've been given money, you know? Yeah. I think it's easier when you have a tighter plan from the, like, yes, I want to fight for more budget, but I think it's easier when the CEO and the CFO are like, here's the operating plan. Here's what we want to get to. Here's the board goals that we have. And like, you kind of already have a frame, you already have a little framework to work with. And then like, 
you go back and you take a swag at like what you think you might want to spend. And then you see if that's somewhere in the ballpark and then you agree on it. Versus yeah. Like having to create the whole thing bottoms up is just an, ins- it's an insane amount of work. And uh, granted, I've never been the CMO of a uh, hundred million dollar plus company. So like, I'm sure as you get closer to that scale, it's it, hopefully there's people that are doing that for you, but it just doesn't are. seem like the best, like a plan is a plan. Like think it's, about what happened this year. Not that this, ha- this is a black swan year, but like, it's just a plan. I'm it's just not a black. I mean, yes, it's a black swan year, but every every company, you know, you you think you're going to miss Q3. All right, Mark. I mean, think about it. Like the only lever you can move up and down within a year is marketing. You can other than laying off people, you got two levers: lay off people or take marketing down. So I've I've learned that lesson the hard way. Like I've had I've planned to spend to a big number and been told by the CFO, "Yeah, you know, we think we're going to have a miss on the top line. Need you to bring the bottom line down by a couple million. And it's hard. Because you're, you know, marketers lock ourselves into spend, whether it's big events or whatever. Like I've learned that lesson, so I've I assume that there's going to be some that I'm going to have to have flexibility. And on the other side too, I can ask for more. It's easy to ask for more if I need to do a big project. It's not like there isn't money available. Like right, a, a plan is only a plan at a moment in time, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I've been stuck. I'm even doing this. I'm trying to figure out what things we should cut or not. And it's like, you're so right. Once you're ingrained to like, these are all the things we pay for all these things. It's hard to figure out like, what am I going to cut? Like I I can't cut anything. I'm just going to add more. And I think the last time I made this point quickly, but again, if you're a marketer, no matter what level you're at, don't judge your self work or impact of the company based on your budget. I've seen too many people fight over why is this person getting more budget than me? And that's not having budget doesn't in some cases it's more of a burden than a help like it, like just spending money doesn't mean you're driving impact and i just don't, i don't want to have the kind of culture where people's self-worth is driven by how big their budget is and i've seen that happen before and it's not healthy for the business no what did you say earlier brain power scales better than budget yeah absolutely okay you do work with agencies. You talked about a PR agency. Do you work with any other agencies? We, we, we fired our PR agency, not, not for performing poorly, because we realized that our PR person on my team who runs PR has all the relationship with the journalists. So what exactly were we providing, you know, getting from them? What was the real value? So the only we use a little bit of outside help in design, a little bit of outside help in writing, but we don't have any long-term quote-unquote agency relationships at this point. Hey, if you're listening to this, Tom just said the most important thing about thinking about whether you should bring on a PR agency or not. I think there's two reasons to bring one on. Number one, most importantly, is relationships. Essentially, what you're paying for is relationships with journalists. And so yeah. if you have a if there is a PR person or firm in your industry that you know is tight with those reporters, then hell yes, it's probably worth that. The other one is scale. Like if you need a PR agency to help produce content, that can be another, yeah. another you know, it's got to be one of those two things, yep. I think. All right. What, give me some tools, MarTech. You know your MarTech stuff. Give me some of the tools that, that are essential to your MarTech stack today. Yeah. So we uh, were HubSpot since the first company, since, uh, sorry, since the company was first built, where we're sort of hitting a little bit of our breaking point with HubSpot, to be honest with you. It's really hard with marketing automation. I think we still call it that to move. Like if I could flip a switch and move to something, I probably would at this point. Not that HubSpot's bad, but right. our, we have even problems with basic things like loading lists. Like if you talk to my marketing ops team, they'll say just getting a clean list upload to HubSpot is now difficult for us for some reason. So we use HubSpot. We use demand base for ABM, although we're considering alternatives going into next year. It's a big number for us. We use a bunch of sort of glue tools. Like we have our, our, you know, our head of demand gen is a big fan of Zapier. And we have a lot of like crazy, scary processes that do crazy stuff behind the scenes to enrich leads that we do. So we're a hundred million dollar company plus still using Zapier to do some stuff, which is interesting. We obviously use Salesforce. We use Clipfolio today for reporting, but it's, we're sort of at the corporate level evaluating a true sort of BI corporate wide platform. We use outreach. The BDR team uses outreach to do all their outbound prospecting. Let's see what else. We're going to use Asana for team collaboration. What does Tom Wentworth's to-do list live on? It lives in Evernote, believe it or not. You're just like adding bullets as you- I'm adding bullets, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my one-on-ones live in Evernote as well. My one-on-one notes, like if if something comes to my head, put it in Evernote. I try not, and I again, my team might disagree, but I try to like not interrupt people. Like instead of like sending off this email, hey, what about this? Put it into Evernote and try to cover that on Monday. 
Mm, I'm the I'm the opposite of that. I do both. <laughs> Which you is, know what I do a lot of that's kind of been fun is I schedule emails for like the next morning. So like an idea comes to my mind instead of annoying somebody at night, because you hate it at night. Like you're having a nice family dinner and like some email and it gets you all fired up. So I try to schedule. My team probably thinks they're real, but it's like if you see an email from me at eight oh four in the morning, it was scheduled. I do the sure, same thing, and sure. I and I pick eight oh four like in superhuman because I don't I, I don't want people to like the funny. I appreciate that about you as a manager because I do this too, and it's I think it's like a I don't want people to think because I'm working right now that I'm expecting this response. It just happens to be a time my kids are sleeping. I'm kind of in the zone. I'm going to get some stuff done. I'm going to be up late. I want to do some stuff. It doesn't mean that I expect you to do it too. But the problem is over the weekend is usually when I have the most ideas. And then like I've sent, I've had, I've sent like, you know, six emails by like 8 a.m. Monday morning. And my team's always like, what were you drinking this morning? And I'm like, well, nothing. I, those were all scheduled. I heard that superhuman flex, by the way, that was a subtle flex, but I caught it. I oh, use superhuman I too. And it's superhuman's awesome. Cause I, it's super easy to do that scheduling there with it. Yeah. It's easy. And now that I just, I don't want to switch just like you don't want to switch marketing automation systems. Okay. We have two minutes. We got to go fast. If you could solve any one marketing problem magically, what would it be? Being able to, to put a number to all that brand dollar and resources investment. If I could figure that out, I would then triple the spend on it. Like if you could plan for that in a, if you could forecast for that in a year, like you can with like paid, for example. I would hire, I'd hire 10 more journalists tomorrow if I had right. a way to sort of think about what the impact of being a media publisher was. How do you tell your family what you do? Daddy does Zoom calls every day is basically <laughs> it. Yeah, uh, Zoom call, Zoom call uh, deliverer. <laughs> That's good. We'll make a clip out of that one. Okay, last question is, give me one other CMO that I should have on this podcast that you think would do a good job. Yeah, so I feel like there's a lot, a lot of, not that recycled, but there's a lot of names everyone knows. I want to give you one that no one knows. Yeah, I don't, want, I don't want that. And it's a friend of somebody used to work for me and is a friend of mine named Taylor DeChico. She runs marketing at a, at a small company called CoreView. And I think the reason, you know, getting someone like me at a hundred million dollar company, like there aren't that many, not to flex, there aren't that many hundred million dollar companies, but you know, there are more companies like Taylor who's startup and just, you know, trying to like struggle through the trials and tribulations. I think she'd be great. And uh, she's a, a new head of marketing as well, which gives you an interesting perspective too. All right. I'll expect an email intro from you. That'll be your homework. My homework is to get this episode edited. I got to send it over to the Hatch people. But Tom, this was awesome. I appreciate it. Good luck today setting your OKRs and uh, I will text (laughs) you later. Bye. Cheers. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. If you like this content, I have a whole lot more where that came from. It's in my private marketing group called DGMG. There's almost 2,000 members in there. 80% of them are B2B marketers. And it's been an amazing community that we launched over a year ago. Uh, I've already posted over 400 different types of content in there, articles, videos, blogs, podcasts. You can go and check it all out, patreon.com slash Dave Gerhardt. It's an amazing place to be. Plus, I do exclusive AMAs with these podcast guests in our group, and it's the only place I post the full transcript and show notes, so you might want to go check it out, patreon.com slash Dave Gerhardt. I also want to give a shout out and a thank you to our friends at Hatch for producing this episode. You can get unlimited podcast editing at usehatch.fm. It's awesome. They're helping me with the show. It's why it sounds so great. And you should go and check it out too. See you on the next episode.